Hey there, folks. This is Dan Fagella here with the Tech Emergence Podcast, where we interview investors, entrepreneurs, and researchers in the domain of emerging technology. And we've talked uh, a good a good while ago. We had we had brought up personalized medicine, and we had had a, a number of companies in sort of the genomic space. Uh, some folks that were sort of interacting in the pharmaceutical space and and working away there. Um, there's an interesting project at the Qualcomm X Prize where they're working on essentially putting a doctor in your pocket. I had heard about this through Peter Diamandis and was, was actually unfamiliar with any individual teams working away on it until I was introduced to a Mr. Tracy Ingram, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Bioscanner, a company aiming to, to some degree, do just that, be able to augment some of the processes and diagnostic uh, uh, jobs of a doctor, in addition to being the founder and CEO of Intention Technology as well. And today we're going to talk about the past, present, and future of bioinformatics. Tracy, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to uh, talk to you. You've had some really great guests, and I think this is going to be a great opportunity to really talk about the emergence of some of this technology, especially in healthcare. Big time, yeah. And, and you know, healthcare, uh, some people don't think is kind of the single sexiest, you know, area of, of innovation. Obviously, a rather important one in terms of its impact on humans and, and, and you know, uh, health and treatment of disease and things along those lines. You know, I've heard a number of our guests, never mind elsewhere in sort of the startup and innovation world, mentioning how they believe that healthcare on the aggregate is a little bit more dinosaur-esque in terms of its adoption of technology, in terms of the technology it's even using now. Uh, you know, we're still faxing each other in hospitals these days. Um, why, why is it maybe that in the hospital setting, in the healthcare setting, oftentimes it seems like things are a little bit slower. Is that, is that some kind of an illusion? Is that actually the case? What's your perspective there being somebody immersed in that space? Well, I think it's true. I mean, I think it's definitely true. And I think there's a lot of maybe reasons that go into why healthcare is so slow to adopt um, new things. And so if your computer crashes, you may lose a Word document. But if a machine that's trying to do surgery on you crashes, you may die. Yeah. And I think, and I think it's the extreme of what really happens. Also, what's happened in the healthcare industry is we've, it's the only industry where the patients are not the consumer. So what you have is you have this whole industry that's based off of, you know, your insurance companies pay the bills. And so the doctors really work for the insurance companies and the hospitals and the drug companies and everything else. They don't really work for consumers. Yeah, what an interesting dynamic that is. And so what happens is now the doctor is, and then from the doctor's perspective, the doctor is now at the center of this, and he has ultimate responsibility. Yep. No matter how good your CAT scan or your x-ray or anything is, he has to make the decision. He has to do the final sign-off. And so when it comes to implementing the newest, latest widget or gadget or technology, he has to be the one who puts his neck on the line to say that it works. Yep. Not, you know the hospital administrator or a purchaser. And so when that stuff starts to come in, you know, you're, you're dealing with someone who's overwhelmed, and now we've actually tried with all the health records to overwhelm them more. We've doubled their workload. You know, I mean, think of the, the idea of when we got computers, everything was supposed to be go be paperless, and everything was going to be easier, right? Yeah. That hasn't really happened. Well, imagine that that whole revolution's going on in healthcare right now. And doctors are now stuck with all of these systems which are bogging down their process of actually doing their job. Where they used to be able to take all that note-taking and dictation and stuff like that and push it off to somebody else, now they're forced to do it themselves. Yeah, and so what, what you have is you have a system where we've added more work and we've taken someone whose really job was supposed to have 
this ability to do an analytical reasoning and, and choose between, you know, scarlet fever and a common cold, but now really has to document all your symptoms, document everything that's going on with you to prove that they know what they're talking about. And so when it comes to adding one more thing to their daily um, experience, you can imagine that their, their attitude is kind of negative to that. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it also sounds like, and Tracy, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I, I mean, well, you'd already brought up the fact that the downsides of you know, screwing up, for lack of better terms, an application of some new whiz-bang technology um, are pretty grand. You know, it's you, you can't sort of uh, uh, put out your, um, you know, put out your, your, your lean startup sort of best first swing and just sort of give her a shot. It doesn't really work, it doesn't really work out like that. Not to mention the fact that it doesn't really sound like the upside is all that strong either. If you do successfully, if you are the doc that that uses this new technology, um, you know who who gives you a high five? You know, I mean, do you make more money? I don't know. I mean, you don't get a high five and you don't get more money. I mean, wow, why would you do anything if you didn't get a high five or more money? You know, I mean, isn't that what makes the world go round? So, um, so it sounds like there aren't really those classical incentives either. Right. So what we're looking at trying to focus on with that is going: How do we make the doctor's job easier? How do we give them better information more conveniently while increasing the patient experience and then reducing overall costs so they can make more money? You know, I mean, so that becomes kind of that piece that we're looking at is going, wait a minute, the doctor's overwhelmed. How do I take all this information from everywhere and give them access to it in a very easy way? Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's as you had mentioned, it's a little bit more than kind of additional gadgets that do additional things. It's at this point... Um, at least in your perspective and, and some of the work that you're up to now, it's about uh, being able to, to streamline a bit of that and, and not make technology a little bit more complicated of a process, but make technology sort of smooth out and maybe simplify some of the process. And, and clearly that'll be, I mean, at least from the way it seems, it sounds like in terms of incentives, that's going to be the one that sort of gets technology rolling in that space. Well, we're hopeful in that. You know, I mean, yes. that's really one of the things is, is if it is, but it does come down to the doctor and the doctor making the decision is this better? Yep. Is this going to make my life easier? Yep. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make it better for the patient. Sometimes, you know, and that's that's this challenge that we have is where a doctor can decide that it makes, you know, even though it might be, you know, a 10, 20% improvement for the patients, it might add 50% more work for the doctor and so still not pass the yep. test. Big time. Um, and that's where you get into this technology adoption that becomes challenging. Yes, and, and, and with all the sort of flim flam around around the incentives in that space that just make it so much more complicated than you know the the normal technology adoption issue of hey i want to get the gen y guys to use my camera app as opposed to somebody else's camera app it just it sounds like it's it's all the more convoluted in this particular domain where incentives are are, are uh, so crisscrossed um tracy what i wanted to be able to move into even before we get into the future of sort of the space that you're in bioinformatics and and uh and, and, and the work you're involved in with Bioscanner. I'm, I'm curious as to uh, what are the technologies around now and today uh, that do a better job than, than some of the, the sort of traditional stethoscope doctor tools uh, that, that really kind of have the, at least the ability, if they weren't you know, spread in all these differ, different technologies that may be uh, difficult to implement all at once, what are some of these... these uh, maybe breakthroughs or interesting applications, meaningful applications in bioinformatics that you see out there today that maybe most of the folks tuned in now, or at least some of the folks tuned in now, wouldn't even be aware of, but but do matter? Well, I, there's 
there's so much stuff coming down the pipeline. I think it's, it's really exciting. Um, my focus is a lot into non-invasive wearable technology. So it means Got I don't it. really like to draw blood. I'm not really a big genetics person and yep. looking at that side of things. I'm looking at, you know, uh, mostly ER vitals. And one of the things, you know, I mean, we've run into a, a lot of companies um, from companies like Airstrip that can send you your vitals at a distance, um, you know, that can look at, um, you have different companies out there right now that you can basically have a iPhone case that can start reading your heart rate. Um, you're, when you start looking at like the Apple Watch and the, um, the Fitbit and they, you know, the, some of the Google Watches that are coming out right now, you're going to start seeing this emergence of continuous monitoring. And I think that's going to be really cool. Um, we've worked with companies that can do, you know, very, very, like a 98% accuracy in diagnosing myocardial ischemia. So what that is, is whether or not you have coronary artery disease, you might have a heart attack. Um, the alternative to that is actually doing an invasive test where they run a camera all the way up and through you to look, uh, which is actually could kill you. Yeah. And so when you start looking at um, what's really coming and what I find exciting, uh, companies like Livongo that just came out recently that's doing continuous monitoring with diabetes care, um, companies like CareSync that really look at pulling in all of your patient records and being able to see that as an individual. Um, but what I see is I see a lot of really interesting technologies coming in on the diagnostic side. Um, and with that, you're, you're looking at this minute, two-minute instant diagnostic in a doctor where in a doctor's office or in a clinic or even potentially at home use. Um, and so what you get is you have a lot of technologies that used to be only in a hospital are merging and coming down to possibly something that you can use at your house. Yep. And that's what's going to get really cool is because you're going to be able to, it's no longer going to be able to, well, we'll pull up the thermometer out of the drawer and see if you have a temperature. Yep. You know, we're going to be able to use devices like Scanadu's, um, a uh, new device that can do your pulse, heart rate, respiratory rate in a five-second measurement with just a little touch against your skull. Um, so there's all kinds of interesting technologies coming out. The challenge is, is as these technologies are coming out, there's sometimes a, a five to ten, um, five to five to seven-year difference of them getting through the FDA process. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the biggest challenges that these companies have. Where that's why you see a lot of these companies moving into the fitness space, um, because fitness mm -hmm. space is kind of non-regulated. And so you what tell you me about it. Yeah, you know, go ahead. No, no, I was like, tell me about it. Yeah, it's really, it's definitely not regulated in many respects. I mean, not not nearly in the same way that obviously healthcare would be. Right, and so what you have is you have a lot of companies that are, um, and even apps out there that are claiming to take blood pressure or you know measure things that maybe really don't do it. But because they're kind of in this vague space, they're not really regulated. Now, the FDA is starting to look at those and go, what's really possible there? Um, but it's, you know, it's interesting um, of what, is, what can be done. You know, and so a lot of my background is I worked with technologies from Russia, from Budapest, China, Germany. And, and I saw a lot of devices that were doing uh, a levels of high diagnostics that weren't FDA approved. And that's one of the things that really moved me into this network going, wait a minute, you know, if people can do this and I'm getting really good results, how come this technology hasn't been pushed through the FDA yet so that everybody can have access to it? Yeah. It, um, and it, I mean, obviously the FDA wasn't set up to be a hindrance for its own sake, uh, but it, it sounds like there's a little bit of a tug of war in terms of 
you know, making sure that junk doesn't go out into the world and convince people that they have problems or don't have problems if, if we don't have some really serious empirical backing there too. But at the same time, you know, we might have some fantastic technologies that'll take another decade to sort of get to the folks that really need them. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about sort of how that dynamic could be changed or your own perspective there. Well, I think what you, what you touched on at the beginning is when we start looking at personalized medicine, um, one of the reasons that I'm so interested in diagnostics is looking at how do we create um, personal metrics so that I could potentially bring devices on the market that aren't for the entire marketplace, but maybe only for a subset of 5 to 10% of the marketplace. And where you're looking at your human trials and your obstacles to get something to market may be less, and by really making a device or uh, a product that can really focus in on you know, uh, girls aged 20 to 30 that have this particular condition, you know, and really looking at that type of um, personalized solutions that it works in one case but might not be for everybody. Got it. And, and, and well, I mean, I suppose, I mean, uh, the the future of, of medicine and, and of healthcare may be sort of leading us there. I mean, it's a little bit less rubber mallet, you know, one size fits all. I think over over time, that it sounds like the inevitable trend in many respects. I mean that we there will be particular application for particular subsets of folks, and by golly, maybe that'll be better. Yeah, I, I have to think that it will be, but what it does is it makes it more complicated. It does, and then it, it it creates a situation where doctors need systems that are going to be intuitive and help guide them through decision making. Um, are just change in the medical industry from the IDT ID. Um, ID9 codes to ID10 codes, um, what they've done is they've, you know, what, like four or five times as many codes now up to like 75,000. Remind different. me what an, what an ID9, ID10, I mean, just, just review ID, for the crowd here. Yeah, so what that is, is that's actual billing codes. So what they have is they actually are the billing codes that you use when you um, uh, describe a condition. Okay. Um, so everything is extreme for, you know, injury in the water, injury in the water involving shark, injury in the water involving shark on land, you know. Man, um, those are the worst. I, I've, yeah, nobody, that's never a fun time. <laughs> no, and, but I mean, those are some extreme examples. But what they've done is they've gone from like 20,000 to 72,000. And um, so what that's done is now let's just take anybody of your audience and try to figure out how many of you remember 72,000 different terminologies. And so when you get into diagnosis, um, you know, a doctor now has to, is required to know and be aware of so much more. You know, so you really are leading towards these systems where computers are going to have to help decide what's really going on. Yeah, at least on some level and with, with that much more to, to manage and that much more to sort of dial in on. You know, you had mentioned some of the technologies that you find exciting today uh, around diagnostics, around being able to... And, and what you had mentioned was, you know, the, those diagnostic tools, instead of getting a single snapshot, maybe we could get a longer-term view of your, your uh, uh, blood sugar or uh, blood pressure or, or other, uh, you know, other, other biofeedback, uh, for, for maybe lack of a better term, um, and, and that, that, uh, that there's a lot of that moving forward already that, that you believe could be useful and fruitful. In, let's say, the coming five or ten years, 
where do you see bioinformatics uh, making its its largest dent? I mean, as of right now, most folks probably aren't aware that there's anything that you could put to your skull and get your blood pressure and, you know, anything along those lines. And and that's not a bad, you know, it's, it just is what it is. Uh, it's, it's not there yet. The doctors aren't using it. In terms of crossing the line to the mainstream, where folks are going to really realize that bioinformatics uh, is here to make a difference and, and maybe actually is, where do you see that difference happening first? Where do you see that footprint really landing in this space of healthcare with bioinformatics in the next five to ten years? Well, one of the examples that um, a friend of mine gave me was, um, do you ever have a credit card company call you and tell you that there's some invalid charges on your account? Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. Do you ever have a doctor do that? No. Well, yeah, I don't really, I don't really go to a doctor, that, but yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's kind of really where we have it with with bioinformatics is this predictive models to be able to see that you're trending um, like a hurricane forecast, let's say, and you can see that something's coming down the road. Yeah. And as you get closer and closer to it, you're going to be able to start seeing these trends. Oh, I, I like the I like the analogy. Yeah. So you know you um if 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 something's going on with your own vitals that sort of kicks something out and then that gets lands on a doctor's dashboard and you can get a call or a recommendation or a question asked out to you. I mean, like you had mentioned, I mean, that's, that's, what the, uh, that's what the credit card companies are doing, right? I mean, they're also directly, that's the client for them. Um, right. So maybe it may, they have a little bit more incentive, you know, not, not that doctors don't have incentive for their people to, to stay alive. But, and that's one of the things that's changing with healthcare too, with uh, accountable care organizations. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the doctors are given incentives, financial incentives to keep people healthy. And so you'll start to start seeing some of these predictive models. Um, the challenge that I've seen with the predictive models right now is when we start talking about the ICD-10 codes, um, we start talking about these billings, the billing codes. Well, a lot of the predictive algorithms that I've seen out there right now are based on billing codes. And so what we believe is, or what I believe is really looking at how do we take continuous monitoring and vital monitoring and actually building our predictive models off of your individual baseline not a yeah general uh, baseline that doesn't make any sense at all really I mean I mean I, maybe it's use, more useful than nothing but as you had mentioned I mean shucks you know it's got to be sort of dialed into you uh, wh when when do you see that hitting the ground I think I might have even drawn you off on a tangent from that topic but in, in terms of in terms of no, no, in, the, in the next five or ten years I, I can definitely see that in the next um, in the next two to five years I think you're gonna start seeing some of the emergence of it you're gonna see some of the recommendations for checkups. You're going to see recommendations for additional testing. Um, electronic health records is going to start getting some artificial intelligence. Um, they're already doing some testing with Watson and those things like that right now. In, in what, in what sense, help. actually? I'm curious, you know, in terms of, let's say, 10 years out, if things go really well with AI and healthcare records, what might be the case, just to paint the picture for the audience? Well, I think that to paint the picture, I think we're going to go from predictive to prescriptive. And what that will mean is that it's going to give you an idea of what you need to do to get where you want to be. So kind of like goal setting. So instead of it just saying, hey, you may have a problem, it's, hey, if we take these steps now, we will actually prevent a problem. We'll prevent you from, you know, having a heart attack. We'll prevent you from having um, certain, you know, I'm not going to put cancer in there yet because we still don't know all of the reasons why that happened. Yeah. But a lot, of, a lot of conditions, you know, one thing that we saw with working on the XPRIZE was – we were looking at how to diagnose and we started looking at the data and we go, you know what, there's enough data here to actually be able to predict what's happening. Predict that you're going to have a cold in a couple days. That's pretty wild. If you, yeah. If you start 
you know, if you, you know, take a break, maybe take the day off, rest, maybe your immune system can then actually, you know, reboot a little bit and you'll be fine. And that's where we, where we got really excited about the data and kind of went off on a tangent of our own from the XPRIZE and going, wait a minute, there's something even bigger here. You know, and how do we really, and that's what we see happening over the next five, ten years is that, you know, your ability to plug in to your, this constant on environment that we have from our phones to our social media to our lives, that's going to be able to kind of measure what's going on. So they're actually building technology right now to kind of go back a little bit that will be able to measure from a camera your heart rate. And that also could then potentially measure your blood pressure. So you're looking at a connected home that can actually measure your vitals without you having to wear something. That's that that's really curious, actually. I haven't heard I, that almost sounds uh kind of massively, massively, massively difficult. Um, but but it, I would have no doubt that that somebody's pulling it off or, or at least getting closer and closer. Do you see ten years out? Do you see? And I think here's one thing that I'll say, uh, Tracy, as we've come uh, sort of towards our our time. I really do want to flesh out this idea because it's fascinating. I think it's really difficult to argue with the potential benefits of, of more continuous monitoring. I mean, if, if that means you got to, you know, drag along, you know, a, a shop vac sized, you know, uh, C-3PO shaped little thing that, that comes along with you and like tracks, you know, of course that's sort of unreasonable, but assuming, assuming we have a way of, of monitoring, you know, critical vitals and health conditions in real time, and you can have that kind of a dashboard and record for a doctor as opposed to, hey, I haven't seen you in two years. You, know, you want to you kind of check my, uh, my blood pressure here, you know, see if anything's different. You know, that, that's just tragically different than, than really being able to see day to day. I think that the, the benefits there are, are, are borderline unquestioned. As you had mentioned, we start to get down to prediction. Do you think in, in five at all or, or you know, even in ten years – um, that that day-to-day -day sort of monitoring of that kind might roll its way out and sort of become the norm, where maybe older folks in their 70s, you know, may have some sort of device, whether it's a camera or something on their wrist, um, and and that and that this will be more broadly uh, accepted. And if so, sort of where and what little niches and pockets? Yeah, I think that technology is increasing rapidly. It was asked at South by Southwest just recently um, how many people would take an implantable if I could give you all those measurements today. And I think over 25% of the people raised their hand. Yeah. So, I mean, that is an early emergence. That's going to be your early emergence technology. But that's actually what I, what I see with the industry and why I haven't tried to build hardware, but really the software background. What I look at, I look at history. And I look at history, and one of the ones examples I like to use is the x-ray. So when, when people look at the x-ray, they go, oh, wow, that's just a great technology and it's been around forever, right? But when the x-ray first came around, it actually took 10 years for it to become the mainstream. And huh. the reason was is because doctors didn't understand what it meant. And I think wearable technologies and a lot of other things we have right now is in that same space. Everybody's collecting data, but no one really knows what the data means or what it's doing or where it's going. And so to take that data, organize it, and that's where bioinformatics comes in, is how do we take that data and make structure and meaning to that data? So we can understand what's happening, giving it a context and giving it a coherence and giving it a, a, a way for us to be able to understand. Got it. Okay, so for you, it's not just how do we monitor the heck out of all of this, but how do we make sense of the streams of data that we'll be able to get access to in a way that, that allows us to have some real utility off the bat um, exactly. when we're looking at it. Okay, that's a nice that's a, a, a nice takeaway. It may be some interesting food for thought for folks that are either interested in investing in or, or getting involved in sort of this 
this health space. Tracy, I, I really appreciate you being able to share all of your insights. If, if people want to learn more about what you folks are up to or you know, maybe resources that you think are useful for kind of research in this space, um, where would they go online to find you or to learn more about this area? Uh, well, you can reach us at bioscanr.com. Uh, it's bioscan, just the letter, letter R, R, R yep. com. Easy enough. Um, and then uh, there's a, we have a mailing list on there that we, uh, we keep people kind of up to date on what's going on in the field. Um, I'm also available at Intention Technology, which is just intentiontechnology.com. Um, both of those can, uh, can reach me. Um, they, we we kind of go into two things. The Intention Technology kind of merges kind of like a little bit of what um, I think what you're doing here at Tech Emergence is really looking at how do I look at the next generation of technology that is affecting uh, human behavior and, and really looking at how do we kind of bring all this stuff together. Um, so it's been a, where, where Bioscanner is really focused on the, the health side of things, uh, Intention Technology is going and looking at how do we look at the whole connected human experience. Got it. A L- little bit of a broader mission and obviously... Uh, probably additional projects going on there. So two resources for people to go check out, Bioscan R, Intention Technologies. Tracy, thank you so much for being able to take the time here with Tech Emergence. It's been great having your insights. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Look, uh, it's, been, uh, it's, it's an honor to be with some of the other speakers you've had here, so I appreciate it. For sure, brother. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, And be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, More than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, You can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, So with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.